This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business on Sirius XM's Business Radio powered by the Warden School. I'm Lauren Feldman, and I'm the Senior Editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If there's something you've been struggling with, something keeping you up at night, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. As always, this is a safe space for business owners. So if you're struggling with something, there's a very good chance someone else listening to this show is struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And back with us today to to discuss those questions will be one of our regular guests, Jay Goltz, founder and CEO of the Goltz Group. Jay owns the largest picture framing shop in the country, and he's got several other businesses, including a home furnishing store in Chicago that recently expanded into New York City. He's a manufacturer, a retailer, a distributor. He sells online. And most important, as he'll be the first to tell you, he's made every mistake you can make, and he doesn't mind talking about them. Uh, One of the great things about Jay is that he's willing to talk about the sides of entrepreneurship that a lot of uh, owners don't really like talking about. Um, For example, he... uh, He's willing to talk about the the way it really works, the actual relationship between him and his employees, uh, between him and his spouse. And I thought today, in uh, in honor of Valentine's Day, we might talk a little bit about the relationship between entrepreneurs and their spouses. Uh, when this topic comes up, it's, it's often in the context of what it's like for a husband and wife team to uh, to run a business together. And that can be really interesting and uh, and really fraught and really difficult. But that's not the only uh, tricky situation. It's uh, It can also just be tricky for an entrepreneur to decide how much information to share with a spouse. Uh, obviously, it's easy when uh, when times are good. But, uh, but when you're struggling, um, and you know, this is a, a problem entrepreneurs always face. It's a very lonely job. They don't always know who to turn to. Um, to, to share tough times? Do you talk to employees? That obviously has a, a downside. You might talk to friends, but they might not really have any idea what you're going through. Do you talk to your spouse about it? Um, the problem there, I think, is that you run the risk of sharing something that can uh, spook them a little bit. So uh, that's why we need Jay Goltz to uh, help us understand what this is all really like for someone in the trenches. Jay, welcome back to Mind Your Business. Always good to be here. Always good to have you for the unvarnished side of uh, what it's really like running a business. Yeah, it's. Um, are we talking about the, the husband-wife thing? Yes, we are. Uh, in uh, in honor of Valentine's Day yesterday, I thought we would talk about uh, entrepreneurs and spouses, uh, and you know we'll get a little bit to what it's like 
for a husband and wife to uh, to run a business. You don't do that yourself, although you did grow up in a family business. But I'm also just interested in, uh, you know, what? How do you? How did have you decided through the years just how much to share uh, with your spouse? And I, I don't well, mean the money. I mean right. the the experience of what you're going through. I would say this for sure. Anybody who says this is the way it should be is just wrong. This thing goes everywhere from you should tell your spouse every single thing that happens and that works for you to you should tell them almost nothing, depending on who the spouse is, depending on how you are, because people vary a lot. And the fact is, business is stressful, especially in the beginning. And between customers, employees, the landlord, the bank, it's confusing, it's scary. And the question is, does your spouse have the stomach for it? Because if they don't, you have to ask yourself, what's the point? Because making them nuts isn't going to help you any. It's probably going to hurt some. And I've had to navigate through just how much do you say because it could come back to bite you. And I just, I just saw a couple movies this week, which, which are interesting. On, on, in the movies... The husband or wife, when they come home, they always get the supportive, insightful husband-wife that helps straighten their head out. The Post, really good movie. Tom Hanks comes home and talks to his wife. She gives him some insight that he didn't have. Um, um, or, or I just saw the, uh, the Barnum movie, you know, P.T. Barnum movie, same thing. That's the movies. In real life, you come home all stressed out, and you might say something to your wife or husband, and it's not going to help. They're going to go, well, what's going to happen with that? Well, shouldn't you do this? Or how do we know? And then they're going to be- become Nazi, and it just adds to your stress. So I, I think you have to know. But sometimes you know. don't you just need someone to talk to? I mean. Yes, you do need someone to talk to. But my point is it might not be your spouse, might not be the smartest one, because uh, the, the fact of the matter is um, I've had to learn. It, it's like being you're at war every day. I mean, I, I don't want to be melodramatic, but there is an element to where you're a soldier doing things all day long, and I've gotten used to it. And, you know, the question – here, I'll give you a, a, a simple example. You've got a difficult situation with an employee, which is probably, other than cash flow problems, probably one of the top three things that you have in business. So you've got a difficult situation with an employee, and they've got serious personal issues, and you've tried your best to accommodate and work with it. But at some point, you're a soldier. You've got to take care of business. You're not a social welfare organization. That's a hard lesson you have to learn, very hard. You go home, and your husband or wife happens to be a social worker. You think they're going to give you the right advice on how to handle it? Or are they going to go, well, the person's going, they're, they're in a, they think differently, they deal with it differently. It's, it's, what, what you have to come home to is a, is a husband or wife that's going to say to you, look it, you've got to do what you've got to do. And it doesn't sound, it sounds like you've done everything you've Your spouse might even know this person, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know what? Cliff Oxford, our mutual friend, we had a, a good laugh one time about the typical entrepreneur story. So here's the typical entrepreneur story. You start your business with yourself, you get a few people, and then ultimately, after three, four, five years, you get big enough to where you can bring in your quote-unquote right-hand person, perhaps. So they're probably closer to your age, they're probably closer to your income, you have more to, to do with them. So what do you do? You start to go out socially with them, and you become you know, friendly with the husband and wife. And then five years after that, you realize that this person's over their head. They can't handle the job any longer, and you need to fire them. And it's an extremely stressful situation, extremely. You go home, and you say to your wife in this case, you know what, I've, I've come to the, the harsh conclusion. i got to fire Bob. And what does your husband or wife say? You can't fire Bob. He's our friend. <laughs> and 
Cliff and I both laughed because we've both been through the exact same scene, and it's terrible. And um, you can't expect your, especially if your husband or wife doesn't have a business background or isn't working, they, they, they're just in a different place. And you do have to decide, is it going to help my situation or hurt the situation? Which gets to a whole other question. Does the spouse want to know? Some spouses want to know every detail, and some spouses are just better off not knowing any details. And it's Jay, you mentioned uh, Cliff Oxford. He, he's been a, a, a guest on this show, uh, and I've attended uh, meetings, as have you, of his group of business owners uh, in Atlanta. And I think we were both there one time when you might have even asked the question. Somebody asked the question, how many of you have been divorced? Was that you? Did you do that? Uh, yes, I'm sure I did. And, I always find that and then the percentage of hands that went up in the room among these business owners was striking. I, I, you know, I, my recollection, and may, maybe I'm uh, embellishing a little bit, but I'm sure it was more than half. Is that your recollection? No, I think that's a, absolutely because, you know, I haven't done a study on it, but trying being married in the first place statistically is, is, is challenging. I mean, I've been married. For 38 years. How yeah. is that possible, Jay? How is that? We, we need to have that's your wife on sometime wants. to get to the no, bottom I'm of this. Tell you. No, I'm actually going to tell you how that's possible. It's it's back to the opposite of the track thing. Um, the fact is, on a on a scale of zero to ten, ten being you know aggressive, headstrong, whatever. I'm not a ten, but I'm not a seven. I, I'm probably a I'm probably a nine. And my wife's a four, and it works. You know, she puts up with, with, and I didn't, when I was younger, I really didn't understand what she was putting up with. I really didn't. So you're saying um, you can do, you can, there's an equation to determine whether your marriage is going to last. If the two yes, of you add up to more than, say, 15, you're in trouble? Is, number. Yeah, yeah the, two, the two can't add up to more than 15 because, like, two nines are going to kill each other. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to tell you a, a conversation I had, I'm telling you, 25 years ago that was stunning. I've got a good friend who's very low on the scale, and he married... On eleven, I mean, she's a lawyer. She's firstborn. She is, she is an eleven, and she tells me on the yeah. Phone if she were a man, she'd probably be considered an, an eight or a nine, though, right? Mm, I'm not sure in her case. I think even in her, okay. whatever, she's way up there. She says to me one time, "Boy, if I was Sherry, I would have thrown you out years ago." And I thought, <laughs> "What are you talking?" I mean. I had no clue what she was talking about. I'm not out with my friends. I'm not in the bowling league. I'm not going to the bars. I'm just working all the time. And Is that what she I was realized, referring to? Well, I, I realized 20 years later, yeah, that you know, I do what I want to do, and I do what I feel like I need to do, and, and she goes along with it, and, and it works. And um, I, I think when it translates to the whole business situation, I think there's some people that are two sixes married together, and it works great, and maybe they're even in business together. But the fact of the matter is um, some people don't handle the stress well, and some people really don't need to know the details. And um, the reason why the divorce rate's so high, that's an easy one to figure out, either between between the the being completely self-centered and self-driven and not worrying about anyone else that's certainly a component perhaps the wife or husband doesn't want to put up with them anymore perhaps they're never home i mean there's 10 different reasons why the divorce rate is probably i can't prove it it's probably higher than average but the fact of the matter is um you have to find your what what works for you that that's what i would say to anybody you need to find what works for you and it, and it it this is absolutely not something that um, works for everybody. Um, in my case, I've learned that sometimes I tell her, you know, it could be something stupid. It could be, uh, 
oh, my God, you're going to be home late again? Yeah, yeah, but I just hired this guy, Fred, and he's going to take over production, and it's going to be much. Okay. Hold that thought for a second. I'm talking to Jay Goltz here. We're talking about the relationship between entrepreneurs and spouses. If you've had an interesting experience, whether it's because you're running a business with your spouse or whether it's because you are negotiating the uh, extremely tricky terrain, trying to figure out how to manage both a growing business and a uh, a relationship. Give us a call. We're at one eight four four Wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We'd love to hear what your experiences have been. If you have a question for Jay, that would be great too. Uh, but Jay, let's go. Let's go back to that example you were just giving because you're talking about you know right. working late because you've, you've got some problem that needs to be solved. But that, I hired that, Fred, who's going to mm-hmm. fix it all. And yeah, but see, that's exactly later. where you you run into the the situation where you end up sharing with your spouse because you, you know you you're, you're working late you need to explain why uh, right. you know what's going on so if you're being honest and the business is struggling for some reason you've got to start sharing a little bit how do right. you how do you manage so you that say this is he's going to help out and then it's two months later and you come home late again and then she could say to you what happened i thought fred was going to fix everything you're already stressed out, and frankly, Fred's not working out too well. Because the fact is, when you're growing fast and you don't know what you're doing with hiring, you're not a great hirer. And I will tell you that that I've gotten much, much better with it over the years. But businesses, when they're growing, I mean, I grew, I grew very quickly. I went, you know, I was growing a hundred percent a year in the beginning, and then it went to thirty, twenty. I mean, I've. I got 110 employees now, and I started with zero. So over the years, it went from 10 to 15 to 20. And the fact is, I was always chasing my tail because every time I finally got to where, oh, I'm now a competent manager of 20 people, I'd have 30. And then when I finally got to be a competent manager of 30, I'd have 50. And, like, it was difficult. And I didn't have a mentor. I've never had a job. So I had to figure it out. So it was stressful the whole way through. And, and it would be nice to come home and, and, and unload on your wife or your husband and have them go, you know what, you're really smart. This is nothing compared to what you've had. I'm sure you're going to figure it out. That's <laughs> nice. That would be nice in a movie scene. Unfortunately, the response is probably going to be, well, what are you going to do? Well, how do you know that person? Well, how do you? And, and you, 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 having, two people, having two people nervous about it at home, raising kids, is not necessarily better than having one person nervous about it. So... I've accepted the fact that this but is But then my you job. you have to swallow a lot. I mean, you're internalizing yes, a lot of stress. Yes, I do. No, you can do that. You have you've maybe hopefully you maybe you have a business group, maybe you've got a friend in business. I, I just don't think that necessarily your spouse is the best person to be talking to about it because you'd be better off talking to someone else who's in business, who's dealt with it, they'll say to you, um, listen, this is what happens in business calm down. It'll be okay. You'll find someone that'll do the job. But they'd have to be in business to know that stuff. I can think of one scene that I'm still laughing about and laughing, crying about. I opened up my home store. It's been 20 years already. So had never dealt with contractors before. Took over this building that was basically, uh, I bought it for the land value. It was such bad shape. Fixed the building up. I used up my entire credit line. I, I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars more than I thought I was going to spend. And I am completely stressed out over, oh, my God, is this going to take me down? So we have the big opening. And the person who runs the store for me, who's with me 22 years later, she, her father's there. And her father's an architect. And I'm standing there with him. He's like my father's age, and I'm looking for someone to, like, calm me down. So I said, you know, 
this building's cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars more than I budgeted, and, you know, it's, it's scary, blah, blah. And what I wanted to happen is, in my movie scene, I wanted him to put his hand on my shoulder and go, Jay, buildings always cost more than you think they're going to cost. It'll be okay. When you amortize the cost over the next 20 years, it'll be nothing. Instead, what does he do? He laughs. <laughs> Sorry. And I just walk away. Well, I'm telling you, he lives. And I walk away and I say that to my person. I go, what's with your father? She said, Jay, you don't understand. My father's from a world where they talk in soft tones and have wine with dinner and never talk about anything controversial, never bring anything up. He didn't know what to say, and that's why he was laughing. And I realized there's a cultural difference there that... that um, he, he didn't, and, and Well, also, so he's he, an architect. He's probably been the reason why... A building has cost more than it was supposed to more well, than yes, once. But, but I also realized he was an architect for the Hancock building. I mean, he worked wow. for a huge architectural firm. He never dealt with entrepreneurs, and he, he never dealt with anything like I was talking about. And he really didn't know what to say. So so my point is, even when you think you're talking to someone that might be able to like give you the uh, calming influence, it's it's you got to find people to talk to. I guess that's the moral of the story. You need to find people to talk to. And it isn't necessarily going to be helpful if you choose your wife or your husband to be that person, because it might not only not help, it could make it worse. I'm talking to Jay Goltz. If you'd like to talk to him, too, please give us a call at 1-844-942-7866. Jay, was it a, a good preparation for all of this growing up in a family business? Did you Do you think you were better prepared to handle it as a result of that? Um. It did nothing for dealing with growth and stress because I grew up, my father at a dime store, and the staff, the team, comprised of my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncle, and my grandparents. And the, my mother and my aunt are sisters, so they were both son-in-laws that were working for my grandfather. So, oh, it was, it was quite, I, I certainly learned about taking care of customers and all that, and that was great. As far as organizational dynamics, well, my mother didn't talk to my sister for about five, my, my aunt for about five years. While they were, while not, they were working they were at not, the same store? While they were working, yes. It was a very nice atmosphere. They wouldn't <laughs> be talking to each other, and you had to, like, work around it. And uh, years later, now my father closed the store in 94, and it was in the neighborhood I'm in here, Lincoln Park. And people loved my father's store. It was the local thing. It was the local store. They were very friendly. And somebody came up to me one time and said, you know, Jay, it was really weird when I go into your father's store. Some days your, your mother would be so outgoing and nice to me, and other days she was cold as ice, and I just laughed, as my sisters did when I told them the story. I said, well, that's easy. The nice days you were talking to my mother, the cold days you were talking to my aunt. They had opposite personalities. My aunt but they looked alike. There. Yeah, they looked alike. And my aunt didn't want to be there, and she was miserable all the time. And, and my, it was, it's the second I told my sisters the story, we all laughed, because you didn't have to try to figure it out. It was obvious what was happening. So... Yeah, the whole, whenever somebody says, oh, family business, and they got that warm feeling, I'm, I don't necessarily have that. When I look at other people <laughs> that I've been in business groups with, and I see the horrible, horrible family dynamics, and it, almost to the point of ruining their lives, the, there's been some really, there, there are regularly horrible family business stories. All right, but you so, haven't answered my question. Did you learn anything from this? Did it prepare um, you in any way? Well... It prepared me to take care of customers, but as far as family thing, yeah, what I realized is um, you better think twice before you bring a family member into your business because um, <laughs> it could be setting you up for a lifelong, slow drip torture. Let's take a phone call. Dave in Arizona, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, thank you for the call. Uh, I had a question. You, I understand the... Uh, 
what you'd mentioned about the stress related to uh, having somebody to talk to. Uh, one of the things I do in my business is working with uh, business types and professionals who uh, do need some coaching, like maybe to put that, to tell that to be the person who tell them that that will be okay or hear people out. And, uh, and I was wondering in situations where that you've been in with your business, how could, how could I, you know, get my service out to people who are in need like that? Do you have any, like, is that something that you would find people would be may value or is it something where they don't want an outsider in on things? Well, that's tricky. I've been in, in, I've been in business 40 years this year, and I have been in, I was in YPO, I was in Vistage, I was in the President's Forum, I was in Vistage again. Um, I've been in my own group I put together, and it's helpful to sit with other business owners. What I've learned is it's difficult to get people to join a business group, and as far as hiring a business coach, consultant, um, I think it would be helpful for people, but I got to tell you, I don't know how I would approach trying to get clients like that because. Did you um, ever hire a business coach, Jay? I haven't. Um, as close as I've come, is well, you know what? I take it back. I wouldn't call it a coach. I hired a consultant one time. Came in. I have, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this. I was 30 some years old. I had gone through 10 production managers over a three year period. 10. And I kept thinking, I must be doing something wrong. So I hired this guy that I got referred to. And after one meeting with me, he sent me a letter. And he said, Jay, I figured out what your problem is. You keep hiring production managers, and you think you're hiring CEOs. He was right on the money, meaning I thought I just hired them. They're older than me. They're in their 40s. They've run factories. I just set them off, and they'll run the place. And I didn't understand they need to be trained and everything else. The other thing I realize in hindsight now is, I was hiring at the, at, the, at the money I was paying. I was not getting people that were qualified. What I ended up doing is instead of hiring somebody that was older that had been in business for 20 years, I hired a kid in their 20s who, for them, that exact same money was a great step up, and that guy's still with me 20-some years later. So that was helpful. I don't know how I would go about trying to find clients unless you just go to networking groups and talk to people. I would say this. My guess is that most entrepreneurs could use a coach. Dave, have you had people uh, raise this issue with you? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been successful, you know, in the mainly the main uh, way of, of clients is through word of mouth, and I'll have a uh, have successful clients, and they'll kind of say, "Hey, you know, this guy helped me out with here or there," uh, but I've never really tapped into it anything more than that. You know, I've gone to some events and give some some mail. I do, you know, free presentations to organizations and. Uh, things of that nature, but I was just curious from your end on the the business side if there's anything that. Well, I well might, let me ask uh, you this: How does that work? I said to good. I, so I was going to say to you, why don't you do pre so you've done presentations to what, like the local chamber of commerce or something? Yeah, things like that, or a business group. Uh, it might just be you know a ten person group about, and uh, you know it's like a lot of those things where people will say it sounds good, kind of like it sounds good that I would like to lose ten pounds, but. People aren't always, yeah. especially, you know, then when they're ready to put the work in and, and commit to, okay, I'm going to change this behavior. We know that's not much easier. Well, let me that. ask you this, because I've, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs over there. I've done a lot of speeches to entrepreneurial groups, and it seems to me, I don't know what your, your speech is about. I don't know what your key points are, but I would think if you found some, for instance, one of the key things I do when I give speeches is I ask the crowd, would everyone agree here? that 
who you hire is a critical, if not the critical piece to growing your business successfully and, and giving great customer service and operating. Everyone says yes. And I say, who here has had any training on how to properly hire? And almost no hands ever go up. So mm-hmm. I would perhaps target things like, have you ever been properly trained how to hire great people? Because if you haven't, you're probably not getting great people because there's a lot of entrepreneurs that go around complaining about, oh, you can't find anyone that wants to work today. And, you know, yeah, it's a crapshoot. I've heard all these excuses. And the answer mm-hmm. is they don't know how to hire. So maybe a targeted approach to say something specific like that, that they can say, oh, he's got a point. I should, I should work on that. Sure. Or... The difference between profits and cash flow, completely separate, completely separate, and a lot of people don't understand that. Jay, I suspect mm-hmm. uh, this is what you're thinking to some extent as well, but if, if Dave is going to business owners and saying, um, listen, I can help you if you're struggling because you don't want to share this with your spouse, uh, you're not sure who to talk to about it, uh, raising the, you know, that spouse issue could be a red flag for a lot of business owners. You know, It's almost like they're hiring a therapist as opposed to hiring a coach or a consultant. Whereas if Dave were to just focus on who are you talking to? You know, everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs a sounding board. Everybody needs to, to share when there's stress. Who do you as a business owner uh, share with, maybe I can help. Maybe that's a, a more positive approach. One that might resonate with the people, because I can tell you, I, I can, I'm sorry, you know, my parents are both gone now, so I can say this. I, I can remember the day, the moment that my father, who, you know, he ran a, 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 a you know, a, a, a small store, never really had a lot of employees. He had only had one employee, actually. He called me one time in the middle of the day, and I had just gone through my, probably my 10th manager, except this guy, he was probably here for six months or a year, and he had a wife and kid, and I was really upset over I had to fire him, and I felt guilty about it. So my father calls me, and he says, how's it going today? I said, eh, you know what, I, I'm kind of upset. i, I got to fire this guy. He's got a wife and kid. I feel bad about it, but he just can't do the job. And my father gave me what I would call one of his jukebox answers. He, he you know, he, he had like pre, pre, pre things in there. He was go, you know what the problem today is? People want a job, but they don't want to work. Okay, yeah, thanks. And that was like the last <laughs> business conversation I ever tried to have with him because he just he didn't he didn't understand. He never ran an organization and what I would have liked for those of you old enough to remember, I've been looking for Ward Cleaver my whole life. You know, leave it to Beaver. Right. Son you know, I mean I, I wish somebody would have said to me, Jay, I think you're hiring wrong. How many guys have you gone through? There must be something wrong in your hiring process. This guy'll get another job. Stop worrying about it. You gotta I, I never had that person to talk to, and um, I guess today they call that the mentor. I don't know. I you know at the time that phrase wasn't even really used a lot. So, I, I think finding a mentor is very important if you can. Dave, thank you very much for yeah. your phone call. We appreciate it. If you have a question about your business, please give us a call at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Tell us who uh, who you talk to when you're feeling stress running a business. You know, I would like to also say, since I've been through, you know, I've been married 38 years, it isn't easy being married to an entrepreneur. I know none of us think that. We all think that this is, uh, oh, what a treat. You're married to me. Look at me. I'm successful <laughs> and I've got a nice car. And look at the house you're living in. The fact is, I've come to understand over the years, it's not easy being married to us because we're there's constant risk. And there's ups and downs. And while I kind of take it in stride at this point, um, my wife doesn't. And she, 
and and it's not always easy. So what we think is no big deal is a big deal. To, you know, I've I talked to people like I've had charge cards up to the limits, and I've I've been through the whole and like I did what I had to do, and they're all paid off now. But the the normal person, someone who's normal, would freak out if they had three charge cards to their limits. But when you're in business for yourself, you know, you you, 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 you know, it's not just instinct. it's not just credit cards, as as you well know. Uh, it's not at all uncommon for a business owner to borrow money against his or her house to uh, to, to <laughs> support a business. It's common, right? It isn't yeah. even, it's, yeah, that's kind of the nature of, of the. You, you've I done mean, it, right? Right now, let's talk about my firehouse, shall we? So I bought a firehouse. This wasn't a metaphor. I bought a real firehouse on the Kennedy Expressway in Chicago that I thought, oh, my God, it's on the expressway, 450,000 cars a day. I'm going to put a different business in there and all this exposure. And, Lauren, you Wait, wait, wait a second. We're going to have to take a break in a minute, so we're going to come back to this. But uh, you you need to set this up a little bit better. You you bought a firehouse. It wasn't wasn't being used as a firehouse. It was an abandoned firehouse. And it was near an expressway, which meant there was traffic going by. But you had no idea what you were going to use it for, right? No. But it was a fire. <laughs> it was a good location, and it was a. You're, you're, you're yes. like, you're like a kid who, uh, who just got yes. rewarded for getting an A or something with a with a fire truck. Only you bought a firehouse. Truck too. Yes. All right. No, so I, we're, we're going to take a break, Jay. When we come back, you could explain to our listeners uh, why you decided to buy a. Firehouse. Uh, and our listeners, I hope, will uh, give us a call if they have a question they'd like to uh, to kick around, especially if it's related to how they deal with the stress of running a business. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. We'll be back with more from Jay Goltz in just a minute. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 111. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren Feldman. Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm here with Jay Goltz. On Twitter, he's at JSmallBiz. If you have a question about your business, give us a call. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. When we uh, broke for break, uh, Jay, you were just starting to tell us about why you decided to buy a firehouse. So I'm driving down the same expressway I've been driving down for 40 years. and I'm In Chicago. This, in Chicago, and there's been, this, there's been this firehouse on the side. I didn't, no, no, I didn't know it was a firehouse. It was just this building that was right next to the, to, the, to the expressway with boarded up windows. And I always wondered what was in there. So one day I see there's a for sale sign. And I call my son, who's in real estate. I go, let's go look at that building. And we did. And we walk in. And I realize this is a shuttered fire station that was closed in 1963 when they built the Kennedy Expressway because it cut off the driveway and they had to shut it down. So it's got the the, the tin ceilings, the, the spiral staircase, the whole thing. So it's been vacant and, for more than 50 yeah, years? pretty much. It's just been used as kind of a warehouse thing and doesn't even have a regular – here's a little interesting note – doesn't have a regular staircase. It's got a spiral staircase, and I'm told it's that way because the horses used to walk up the stairs to, when they smelled dinner being made, and they couldn't get them back down. It's very difficult to get a horse to go downstairs, so they stopped putting staircases on firehouses. That's why there was only a spiral staircase. I thought that was interesting. One more reason to buy the firehouse. So, so I buy it, and I think I'm going to fix it up, and I'm going to use it for a banquet space, or I'm going to rent it to someone. And meanwhile... 
Wait, wait, Jay, you you just bought a firehouse with no more idea than ah, I'll fix it up and maybe yeah, I'll use it as a banquet I space. I am a recovering entrepreneurialaholic that fell off the wagon. Um, I just it was there. I just felt like I needed to do it. So but this is all part of the small giants thing. The lesson you supposedly learned. Well, this one wasn't that grand. I wasn't opening okay. a chain of restaurants. It was it wasn't that expensive in relative you, terms. So let's get to where you're you enter the scene. So you happen to come to Chicago with your lovely wife, we go out to dinner, I show you the firehouse and I call you the next day and I say to you, So Lauren, does your wife think I'm nuts? And with no hesitation whatsoever, you said yes. <laughs> it, but that had nothing to do with the firehouse, Jay. No, no, don't, don't. Well, it was just part of it, I guess. But the point is, to normal people, this looks nuts. And to me, it seemed like a natural, normal thing to do. So I'm probably on the scale. Jay, of I that. was in touch with you while you were doing Every time I talked to you while you owned the firehouse, you had a new scheme for what yes. you were going to do with it. Yes. How many did and you, you go through? A lot. Like well, 10? I opened and closed in my head a bike shop, a motorcycle shop, a dog kennel, drop the dog off on the way to the ken- on the way to O'Hare Airport, pick him up on the way back, a banquet hall for weddings. Um, so I had four four viable things, and then I realized that this building really needs the user to own it, and I really shouldn't be opening new businesses, so I sold it. And I came out okay. I didn't lose any money on it. But frankly, even if I lost a little money on it, I had a good time. What did your wife think? I got it. Um, wasn't real thrilled with the whole, just, you know, she's just kind of gotten used to, okay, I mean. Because this um, one you had to share with her. You, you can't buy a firehouse and not tell your yeah, wife, well, can you? I had my 60th birthday party there. You know, so, <laughs> so you I did was, get something out of it. Yes, I did. I had a wonderful party, a 60th birthday party there, and, um, yeah, she's kind of gotten used to. Did you slide to, down the, uh, the fire pole on your 60th no, birthday? No, because they were already, they were, I put phony ones in. They weren't real. the real fire poles are actually very expensive, so I had, I put phony ones in that are brand sleeves they're not really poles but no nobody was sliding down the poles but it was fun i had a good time with it i i i think i'm done with that kind of stuff the point of the story is on the scale of nutty entrepreneur stuff i'm probably a seven i mean richard branson who's i don't probably one of the greatest entrepreneurs of the 20th century was going on hot air balloon things that he could have died on so i put that at a 10 and i put me at a seven and i put most entrepreneurs probably at a four or a five, and I put the general public down at a zero or a one. So there's there's a whole mentality that goes with many entrepreneurs, and um, it's you, you have to understand it about yourself, or you start to think, well, it's not me, it's them. No, it's you. It's, it's not them. So I'd like to dial this down to the, the entrepreneur that's got five employees, 10 employees, 15 employees, and they're trying to figure out, is it them, is it their wife, their husband? And I'd like him to call in and just tell us what they're, they're, you know, what they're thinking. Cause they can I- do that at 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. Jay, along those lines, you were, listening, you were listing before all the types of peer groups you've belonged to. Um, and obviously the context was, you know, you had concluded that at least in your case, sharing the ups and downs with your spouse wasn't the best idea. So you looked for a, gr- a group of people with whom it did make sense to to share those uh, challenges. But you, you listed a whole bunch of them. Why have you jumped from one group to another? Well, keep in mind, this is 40 years. So I okay, was in each one enough. of those groups for usually 
two or three years, you know, you get to see each other's businesses, and after a while, it gets boring to me. And and the other problem I've come to understand is many of these groups. This is a little surprising, but it's the fact. Out of twelve people in the group, like the last group I was in, out of twelve people in the group. Eight took over the family business, two worked for big corporations, and one was a small startup. So they're not entrepreneurs. They're, they, they're, they're business people, and some of them are very smart business people, but the experience is different, and um, the background is different, and frankly, the thinking is a little different. And um, So you, you found – that's so interesting. I mean, it's hard – it's hard enough to find business owners of any type to right. uh, to have this kind of conversation with, with I would think. But you're saying – that it really makes a difference what type of business it is, perhaps, and also... No, no, it really makes a difference. Are they entrepreneurs? And and there's a book I read. It was, I, I don't know, I, I probably heard the guy on public radio or something, Winning the Brain Game, or I could have heard it on the station, Winning the Brain Game. And in it, he's, he, he described that entrepreneurs think differently than, than, than normal people, and that they think things out. To Most people will stop when they get to a solution, and that an entrepreneurial mindset gets down to all the way to the best solution. And I, after I read that, and I went to, I started to realize, I, I think he's onto something, because many times they'd bring up an issue that like people just glossed right over and I go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Why are you doing that? And it's, they think differently. I, I don't know what to say. They just, I find they think differently and they also talk a lot about golf. <laughs> and you think that really helps. So you think, I mean, there must be, you must've run into people who took over a family business who have an entrepreneurial mindset. Haven't you? Um, I've met people who absolutely built the family business from a $5 million company to a hundred. But that phrase entrepreneurial mindset is very interesting. I don't not, I'm not sure what that means exactly because this is either your entrepreneurial, which means you signed the document, you took the loan, you risked everything or you didn't. Now, did they grow their family business? Absolutely. Are they smart business people? Absolutely. But I don't know that you can be a, an entrepreneur and not have ever started a business. I would say those would be called successful entre- I would say those are successful business owners. So I don't think it's the same thing. And I've had. But can't you? I mean, you talked before about one of the most important issues to discuss is is about hiring. How you hire the best people? Can't you have yes. that conversation with someone who took over a family oh, business? Absolutely. Oh no, no, there's no question. I'm I'm saying there's a 75 percent overlay between you know taking over the family business and being an entrepreneur. Yes, there's many of the same issues, but there is a difference. And. Um, there's a difference in, in processing problems and looking at the businesses. And I, I, I just keep in mind, I've seen 50 businesses up close and personal now. I was in business groups with them, and I, this wasn't an overnight a thing I came up with. It's been many years to under. And I'm telling you, until I read that book, I really didn't get it. And I really think the guy's onto something. Let's um, take a phone call. Craig in North Carolina, welcome to Mind Your Business. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Well, I have a small management consulting business. Um, I opened in January 2016, and I doubled in 2017. I have seven employees now. I think um, I'm single, so I've been making the mistake probably of talking to my employees and my dad. And um, you know, he's not my spouse, but my dad is. It stresses him out, so I can't talk to him at all anymore because he adds to my anxiety. <laughs> but um, I've been talking to my brother a lot, and. He's um, works in a professional services firm, and we've been talking about maybe making him a. I thought about going into business with him, and so 
I'm kind of concerned about what you're saying about family, but he's about my age and has some similar experience, and he's been a sound, good sounding board. Jay, do you have any thoughts on how you make yeah. the decision whether a uh, a sibling is the right person to uh, go into business with? I've, I've seen that many times, and sometimes it works great, and sometimes it ends up in a disaster to where they're not talking to each other anymore. And my question would be, is he? And as an entrepreneur, I can tell you the mistake most entrepreneurs make, including me for sure, is I call it accidental hiring. Oh, well, who, where'd you get that guy? Oh, he's my brother. Oh, he's my neighbor's nephew. Oh, he, I mean, the question is, is your brother the best candidate for what you need, or is it just that he's your brother and you can quote-unquote trust him and you have a relationship? Does he have the skill sets and the background and the mentality to be the right person for that? Because, Craig? Yeah. What's the um, answer? <laughs> well, probably the, probably the latter. And I think the accidental hiring, I've done that with pretty much everybody. I've been in consulting for so many years. Um, I think a lot of my hires have, have kind of been that. They've worked out well so far because they're probably the best people I've worked with so far. But um, but I just declined a candidate for an interview or for to hire. We had interviewed him and brought him out. And, um, and, and then I've had second thoughts like, well, I need people. I need bodies. I need to grow. So maybe I made a mistake in not hiring him. He was good enough, you know, or. <laughs> so, wait, so here's the question. This is this is the number one entrepreneur question. Did you put an ad out on ZipRecruiter or Indeed or one of those, a really well thought out, crafted ad talking about what your company's about, what your mission is, what you're looking for, why they should work for you. You put it out there. You got 150 resumes. You called through them. You ended up with 10 that looked interesting. You got those down to five. You interviewed five people. Did you go through anything like that process? Yeah, we did. We actually, in this case, we used an outside recruiting firm. And so after all that work, and then we get to the best one, and then it doesn't seem like he's really the right fit. What I described is not using a recruiting firm because I've – I don't want to slam a whole industry, but I've used recruiting firms three or four times, and everyone ended in disaster. What I just described is not necessarily anything to do with what the recruiter do. They might have just put a blank ad out there, and they get bodies in there, and they try to get the body in your place. What I described could be 180 degrees from using a recruiter, and my experience with recruiters are, and I've had some really bad experience with recruiters, their job is to get somebody for you to hire, period. That's how they make a living. Their job is not necessarily to find the perfect person for your business. That's your job. And I would say I'm not, I'm not so sure you should be delegating that at this point. Um, I have no, you might have the best recruiter in the world, and maybe in this case it works, but my experience has not been that they, they craft the perfect ad and put it out there and find someone for your company. They just, they're like a, they just find people that are looking for jobs. It's just there are some great recruiters, and there's some that are absolutely not great recruiters. Craig, tell so us. With, I guess we helped with the ad, but I don't. I guess I'm assuming that some of that other stuff happened. But yeah, towards the end of it, then they were following up all the time, saying this guy has another offer, and you need to hire him. And I did feel that they just they're just pushing me to hire him. Yeah. Well, let me give you my one quick one. I hired a in my process of going through all these production managers. I used a recruiter. They put the guy in the job. After about four weeks, he tells me that, you know, I took a pay cut for this job. And I go, no, you didn't. I'm paying you $1,000 more than you were making at the last job. He goes, no, I was making about $5,000 more. The recruiter told me if I told you that you wouldn't hire me. Oh, great. <laughs> well, the next week, the thing fell apart. He goes, 
Next thing I know, and I don't pay the recruiter because they coach him to lie to me. I get a subpoena. I'm getting sued for not paying the bill. So call the lawyer, my brother-in-law, who certainly was on my side. He goes, I said, I'm just going to call the president of this recruiter. No, 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 don't do that. As soon as the lawyer starts, you've got to keep a lawyer to lawyer. Okay. I go to a deposition. I'm at the deposition for all of about 60 seconds. I explain to the lawyer on the other side what happened. He stands up and goes, okay, we're done here. He knew there was no case here, that they lied to me. And, and I ran into the president of the recruiting firm at a function a couple of years later, and I told her the story. She goes, God, I wish you would have just called me. And I thought, yeah, I wish I would have just called you. The point of the story is they don't know what's going on. They got a bunch of people working there that are, that are working on straight commission on the phones all day long. They don't, she didn't know this, anything about what had happened. So, I'm, like I said, I'm sure there are some great recruiters out there, but I also am absolutely sure there are many of them that are just trying to place bodies. So I would suggest that if you do what I said, write a great, great ad that you really thought about and then interview thoroughly. Well, what makes it a great ad? Well, a great ad that is inspiring, that makes people really understand. You're trying, your best shot is to get someone to quit an existing job. You want an ad that is so compelling they think, I would love to work at a company where I can direct, where I can be part of the conversation, where I can d- report directly to the owner, where I can be part of the mission. And you write a great ad that makes people think, God, I don't have that at my job. I want to work at this company. Greg, is that helpful? Filter through. It looks like, I mean, it's only February. I'm probably going to triple from last year, which was double the year before. And I already have stuff in the pipeline. I'm about ready to sign it. And I have seven people and I have my real job to do. How can I, how can I grow if I don't get the people? But then how can I have time to get the work done and sell and deliver if I'm interviewing. How many people do you have to hire in order to triple your business? Probably like 10 or 15. <laughs> well, I have the, I've been where you're at because my business was doubling every year. I can tell you, you're, you're so, so I'll give you the opposite question. How do you expect to grow a company and not have nightmare after nightmare if you have a haphazard hiring process? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you start hiring the wrong people, you have no idea the hell you are in for. The phone calls from the client going, the guy showed up drunk. Well, who are you? What are you doing? The claw from the client because this guy didn't know. It, it, this haphazard, well, I'm in a hurry. If, I just want you to listen to yourself. If your answer to, I, I don't have the time to do the proper hiring. I'm just going to hire whoever shows up. Good luck with that. I can tell you where that's going to end up. I've been there. It's called a nightmare. That's what it's called. I would argue with you, why are you tripling in size? Why don't you double in size, put an intelligent hiring process in place, hire some great people, and run a professional business that gives great product and service or services to your clients versus, versus chaos, basically. Craig? And eight, you bought a firehouse. I want to triple. <laughs> right. Well, you know how my firehouse worked out. I sold it. I didn't lose too much money. That's the point. I didn't have much to lose with the firehouse. It wasn't going to mess up my business. It was like an extracurricular activity. This is not an extracurricular activity. This is like your blood and guts. And I am telling you, if I had any advice to give my younger self, would be stop the hiring chaos. Start using intelligent. There isn't a great. I think this is a true, a, a, a true fact. Show me a great company, and I will show you a great hiring process. No great company is doing haphazard hiring. Boom, mic drop. That's all I'm going to say. Craig, thank you very much for your phone call. Really appreciate it. Good luck. Please feel free to give us a call back and uh, let us know how things go. Let's, uh, Let's go to Nathan in California. Nathan, welcome to Mind Your Business. 
Hey, thanks for taking my call. So I got a couple uh, comments, and uh, if you, we don't have time for the second, that's fine. First comment is um, I understand the point uh, that your guest was making about what differentiates um, entrepreneurs from non-entrepreneurs and this notion of going beyond um, a satisfactory solution to an ideal solution. But I'm not actually sure I agree that that's the key differentiating factor. I'm not saying entrepreneurs don't have that quality, but I'm saying that non-entrepreneurs may have it. And I suspect, uh, and, and give you an example, um, let's take Steve Jobs, an entrepreneur, and Johnny Ives, his kind of head of design, his design guru, who I believe is a non-entrepreneur. I never started a company. I think both of them were are people who, or were people, who go beyond uh, satisfactory solutions to ideal solutions. The difference is Steve Jobs is the one who started the company, and I suspect it has that that, that key differentiator um, is not merely the perfectionism or the pursuit of perfection, but a tolerance for risk and uh, a, 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 a belief in oneself or a belief in the, in the probability of success that may actually transcend rationality, but, uh, you know, the person's on a mission. Okay. So, so Jay, agree. he's challenging you a little bit. He, he's no, asked- I got it. Here's, here's my answer. You're absolutely right. I would ask you this. How much money do you think that, what did you say his name was, Johnny something? Johnny Ive. How much money do you think he made per year? Uh, a lot. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure millions. he made millions. Millions. Okay. My my point is, I'm absolutely. You're absolutely right. My point is that guy makes millions of dollars a year. That situation is very unlike the typical entrepreneur that's got someone that's making sixty or eighty or a hundred thousand dollars, or the guy that took over the family business is not Johnny. So you're you're right. That's not the only distinguishing factor. I just think. That's an extreme example because that guy's obviously a brilliant guy, and that's how he got to where he was at. And it, he didn't take over Apple because he was because he was uh, Steve Jobs's kid or his nephew or something. I mean, he 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 crawled his way up that organization because he's obviously a brilliant guy. So, yes, you're, you're right. I'm just saying in the typical business where someone just takes it over because of you know they're the son or the daughter, they don't necessarily have that skill set. What's your next? Uh point nathan well uh just about the hiring process um you know it's funny uh i hear there's haphazard hiring and then i've seen the other type of hiring hiring based on intellectual snobbery uh hiring based on degree snobbery i mean the worst case of this i ever saw i was i was among a group of people who'd interviewed a candidate for a job this was an engineering job uh the candidate had a phd from an ivy league school uh, which also happens to be a top engineering school and one of the other people in the hiring committee also had a Ph.D. from that exact same school. But his objection to hiring this person was that the candidate's professor did not have as much prestige in that school and in that field as his professor. So maybe that raised questions about whether this candidate was really good enough or elite enough. And I spent and this company had a lot of intellectual snobbery it was founded by people with Ph.D.s. I spent the entire meeting saying, stop being crazy, guys. I don't care about the fine gradations of the professor's bragging rights. This guy has technical skills. He's an amazing communicator, unlike most engineers. And I've just seen the opposite end of the spectrum. You're 100% right, but I don't know that that's the opposite end of the spectrum. I would include everything you just said in bad interviewing, that they were looking for the snobbery things instead of what you just said, communication skills, that would be called, I wouldn't call it the opposite end, the opposite end would be a great hiring process where you've defined, 
is a faulty hiring process that they were looking for snobbery instead of someone who can communicate and all those things you were talking about. So I agree the degrees is not when I say great hiring process, I am by no means suggesting they've got to have the PhDs from the right colleges. I'm talking about you figure out what you're looking for, like you described, communication skills and, and everything work ethic, history, and then you figure out what are the criteria that's going to be the most important criteria to hiring the right person. And from my experience and my own personal and watching other people, they hire who shows up because they're in a hurry. That's always that's always the story. Well, I was in a hurry and being in a hurry and hiring is a real bad combination. Nathan, thank you for your phone call. Really appreciate it. Jay, we just got seconds. Real quickly, if you if you do have a great hiring process, what can you do to avoid that kind of snobbery that Nathan was talking about? How do you get a diverse group of candidates in the door? Well, I don't think what he was saying it was I think they did have a diverse candidate. They just were, were picking the snobbery one. So I think the key, the key is to write an ad that doesn't overemphasize, you know, necessarily degrees, but emphasizes the kind of person you're looking for and what the skill set you're going to need for the job. And you certainly need to look at the people that are interviewing and saying to yourself, do they really understand what it takes to, to succeed in this position? Because I've always said this, and I believe this to be true. The entrepreneur is frequently the worst possible person to be doing the actual interviewing for three reasons. A, Real they're quick. optimistic. They're optimistic. They like people. Well, that's not necessarily good in the interview process. Two, they love their company and they talk about it too much and they don't spend enough time getting the, the you know what they need out of the candidate. And three, they're in a hurry. They got literally 20 other things to do and they don't want to be interviewing like you heard from the previous caller. Jay? I've learned. Jay? Yeah, it's all in the hiring. We'll have you back. We'll continue the conversation. For now, happy Valentine's Day. Same to you. If you want to keep up with Jay, go to goldsgroup.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Jay Smallbiz. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, but we're here every week. Uh, until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman, and this has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio, powered by the Warden School, Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.